Genesis 1.1. Dr. Henry Morris says, This one verse refutes all of man's false philosophies concerning the origin and meaning of the world. First, it refutes atheism because the universe was created by God. Secondly, it refutes pantheism for God is transcendent to that which He has created. Third, it refutes polytheism for one God created all things. Fourth, it refutes materialism for matter had a beginning. Matter is not eternal. Fifth, it refutes dualism because God was alone when He created. Sixth, it refutes humanism because God, not man, is the ultimate reality. And seventh, it refutes evolutionism, which it's rightly so called. Evolutionism, for it is a faith. It refutes evolutionism because God created all things. Genesis 1.1, the foundation of the Word of God. Genesis 1.1, the words most often read by the most men that have ever lived, that have ever walked the earth. If they had the power to read, most likely they read Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1, the foundation of our faith. Genesis 1.1, the first place that all of God's saints said, Amen. Genesis 1.1, not to be disputed, not to be argued with, not to be explained away, not to be dismissed, not to be subjugated to man's ponderings. Genesis 1.1, thus saith the Lord. The beginning of God's revelation that we readily receive and joyfully submit unto. Genesis 1.1, the foundation of all truth. For God is truth. Without Him, you have no path to truth. Genesis 1.1, the foundation of all true science. Genesis 1.1, let us read it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there we Stand, dear saints. There we stand, giving no ground to science falsely so called that would assault, that would bring never-ending attacks upon God's inspired and errant and preserved word. Attacks without end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All their attacks have been brought to bear century after century, decade after decade. And Genesis 1-1 stands. And when all those men and all their attacks have faded into the dustbin of history, Genesis 1-1 will stand for all eternity, saints. For God's Word is eternal. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's word is eternal because the eternal God who created the temporal heavens and earth sustains his word. He spoke it and he will sustain it and it will abide. It will abide. I shared with you two weeks ago that there are really two choices regarding worldview. Really just two choices. You either have an eternal creator, the eternal creator of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, or you have an eternal cosmos. And I shared with you that quote from Carl Sagan that I find to so succinctly state the faith of the Big Bang 
cosmologist evolutionism movement. The faith, as stated by Carl Sagan. Not the science, the faith. Quote, The cosmos is all that is or was or ever will be. Our feeblest contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There is a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from a height. We know we are approaching the greatest of mysteries. Saints, that is not a scientific statement. That is a statement of faith. It is even a statement of worship. He, as Romans 1 has foretold, has exchanged the truth of God, exchanged the Creator God for the creature and worships the creature rather than the Creator. He worships creation rather than the Creator of the cosmos. He declares by statement of faith that the cosmos is all that is or was or ever will be. That is not a scientific statement. It is religious in nature. Our feeblest contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There's a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation. All this emotion, all this religious emotion, as if a distant memory of a falling from a height. We know we are approaching the greatest of mysteries. Mystery or science? It's mystery. It's the mystery of the faith of atheism and the theories of atheism, the fallacies of atheism, Big Bang cosmology, and evolution. So you either have an eternal creator or an eternal cosmos, and there's really nothing in between. An eternal cosmos defies all the known laws of creation. But since we cannot tolerate in our sin the creator, we are willing to contradict all the known laws of creation in order to assault and reject the Creator who has revealed Himself in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Last time, we focused in simply on the God of Genesis 1.1. We didn't deal with any of the rest of Genesis 1.1 in any depth or at any length. We skipped beyond, really, in the beginning, directly to God. We did not deal with created, we did not deal with the heavens, and we did not deal with the earth. So this week we'll backtrack to deal with in the beginning. Having looked at the eternal God, the everlasting God, the God who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the everlasting, the everlasting, the God who is the great I am. As Moses asked God, who should I say sent me? You say that I am sent you, the eternal existent one, dependent upon nothing pre-existent, self-existent, dependent upon nothing. That's who you say sent you, Moses. In the beginning, God. So let's deal with that. In the beginning, the Hebrew here, reshith, time. Time began. There was no time before Genesis 1.1, there was no time before in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Without the heavens, without the earth, there is no time. In the beginning is the declaration of the beginning of time. Because without space and matter, there is no time. Time is tied intrinsically to space and matter. In fact, there's a trinity there. 
Isn't that interesting? At the most fundamental level, in the very first verse, there's a trinity declared. In the most fundamental level, in God's creation, there is a trinity. You cannot have time without space and matter. They come together in God's creative act. One creative act, and yet these three elements thereof, these three results thereof that are common to our experience and we don't think about them at this level very often. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the creation of time. It's the beginning of time. There's no time before this. God dwelt in eternity past, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, self-existing in three persons in perfect harmony and in perfect love, needing nothing, depending upon nothing. This is the logical place to begin, mind you. But no other so-called scripture begins there. The other would-be scriptures that man has created from man's finite and fallen mind begin with a material universe. They actually begin where Carl Sagan begins with an eternal cosmos. They do not begin with an eternal creator. They begin with scientific impossibility instead of the biblical declaration that is scientific and logical. It takes an eternal God with omnipotence and omniscience to create the cosmos that we experience the cosmos that we observe and apply our scientific tests to in the beginning. Henry Morris, Dr. Henry Morris, in his excellent book, The Genesis Record, says this of the beginning. In the beginning, not only does the first verse of the Bible speak of the creation of space and matter, but it also notes the beginning of time. The universe is actually a continuum of space, matter, and time, no one of which can have a meaningful existence without the other two. The term matter is understood to include energy and must function in both space and time. Space is measurable and accessible to sense observation only in terms of the entities that exist and the events that happen in space. And these require both matter and time. The concept time, likewise, is meaningful only in terms of entities and events existing and transpiring during time, which likewise requires space and matter. Now, if you didn't get that, it'll be online soon. You can go back and listen again. Thus, Genesis 1.1 can legitimately and incisively be paraphrased as follows. Get this. The transcendent, omnipotent Godhead called into existence the space-mass-time universe. Now, I'll repeat that one. The transcendent, omnipotent Godhead called into existence the space-mass-time universe. It is a space-mass-time cosmos, a space-mass-time universe. They all three must come into existence together. And before any one of them, the other two did not exist. As noted earlier, the name Elohim suggests that God is both one God, yet more than one. It allows for plurality. Though it does not specify that God is a trinity, the fact that the product of His creative activity 
was a tri-universe does at least strongly suggest this possibility. A trinity or tri-unity is not the same as a triad in which there are three distinct and separate components comprising a system, but rather is a continuum in which each component is itself coexistent and coterminous with the whole. That is, the universe is not part space, part time, and part matter, but rather all space, all time, and all matter. And so is a true triunity. The phrase in the beginning, in the Hebrew, Bereshith, is properly translated in the authorized version, in the beginning. In the Greek Septuagint, it is translated in arche, the same words used in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. Although the universe had a beginning, the word was already there and thus transcends the universe. Both in Genesis 1.1 and in John 1.1, we see the eternal God already present, already there. And all that we truly know scientifically, all true science points to the fact, the essential fact of the eternal creator God, omniscient and omnipotent. Everywhere you look, everywhere you look, at every level, at every place, microscope, telescope, everywhere you look, you see the handprint of our omniscient and omnipotent God. To deny it is intellectual foolishness. As Psalm 14, 1 says, the fool says in his heart, There is no God. And they say it with motive. They are corrupt. They have done no good thing. They have done abominable works. They have a triple motive to deny their creator. And so, in the beginning, Reshith, time began. Time was created. Ken Ham, in an article titled, What Was God Doing Before Creation?, says this, one reason people give for rejecting a young universe is that they think it somehow limits God. After all, what was he doing all that time before creation? This question reflects a basic misunderstanding of God and time. Because of my stand on a young universe, a man approached me and said, but it makes no sense to believe in a young universe. After all, what was God doing all that time before he created? I answered, what time do you mean? The person answered, well, it doesn't make sense to say God has always existed, and yet he didn't create the universe until just 6,000 years ago. Apparently, he was worried that God once had a lot of time on his hands with nothing to do. I then went on to explain that because God has always existed, then it is meaningless to ask, what was God doing that time before he created? No matter how far you were to go back in time, you would still have an infinite amount of time before he created. So even if the universe were billions or trillions or quadrillions of years old, you could still ask the same question. I then answered, but you are missing the fact that there was no time before God created. Time is actually a created entity. The first verse of the Bible reads, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. A study of this verse reveals that God created time, space, and matter on the first day of creation week. No one of these can have a meaningful existence without the others. God created the space, mass, time, universe. Space and matter must exist in time. And time requires space 
and matter. Time is only meaningful if physical entities exist and events transpire during time. In the beginning is when time began. There was no time before time was created. When I'm teaching children, I like to explain it this way. There was no before God created. There was not even nothing. There was God existing in eternity. This is something humans as finite created beings can never fully understand. That's why the Bible makes it clear. There was always a faith aspect to our understanding of God. Now, biblical faith is not against reason, but such things go beyond our understanding. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, says Hebrews eleven six. But dear saints, our faith is not a matter of checking our brains at the door of Christ's church, but rather applying our brains to God's word and God's word to our brains and to God's creation for both God's creation and his word are revelation of God one natural revelation in creation the other special revelation and natural revelation creation rightly understood true science always comports with God's true word always all true science always comports with God's true word, no exceptions. No exceptions. And mind you, we all have faith. We all have faith. Everyone is exercising faith. We just want our faith to align with the facts as God reveals them. What is reality? What is reality? Truth as it comports with God and His revelation, that's reality. If you have garnered reality from some other source, if you have sought reality or you think you have found reality without God, oh, dear ones, you're, you're caught up in a fiction. You're caught up in a folly. Reality is that which comports with God and truth as He reveals it. Outside of that, you don't know what is real. You're left wandering in the universe of I don't know. Any true and honest atheist will tell you the only thing they really know is that they don't know anything. Which means all the statements they make, all the factual statements are built solidly upon thin air. Nothing. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, can Ham continues. So what was before creation? God existing from everlasting to everlasting. God existing in eternity. Do you remember what God said to Moses when he asked God who he should say sent him to lead his people out of Egypt's oppression? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Your God is the great I am. And without the great I am, the eternal existent one, you have no explanation for the cosmos around you or any so-called truth within it. You are the people of truth because you are the people of the God of truth, the people of the God of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
In Revelation 1.8, we read, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Isaiah 43.10 records these words from God. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Ken Ham again continues, in other words, it's a mistake to talk about what God was doing before creation because the concept of time before, during, and after, did not come to be until day one of creation week. God exists. He is. He is the eternal self-existent one. He is outside of time. The Bible makes it clear that God's, co- that God's existence is completely separate from the history of this universe, which began in Genesis 1.1. That's what Genesis 1.1 is, the history of this universe. In other words, there's no such thing as prehistoric. History began when it was first recorded, the first verse of Genesis. There is no prehistoric man. There is no prehistory. There is eternity where God dwelt. And there is the history that begins in Genesis 1.1 when time and space and matter began. Now, when we understand this, and then also understand the whole of creation, including Genesis 1-1, was accomplished in six days, we can begin to calculate how long ago God created the world. Exodus 20, verse 11, makes it clear that the heavens and the earth and everything else, all that's listed in Genesis 1, were created in six days. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Based on the way the word day is used in Genesis 1, creation had to be six ordinary, approximately 24-hour days. Many technical and popular articles show that the context requires this meaning. Then the Bible lists very specific genealogies of the Messiah's line in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11. We are told that Adam was 130 years old when he begat Seth, and Seth was 105 years old and begat Enosh. And so these lists continue. When one adds up all the dates and all other time references throughout Scripture, it's clear that in the beginning was about 6,000 years ago. Now some Christian leaders have claimed that the Bible doesn't give an absolute date for creation So we can't know how old the creation really is. But of course the Bible doesn't give a date for creation. You see, if the Bible recorded that creation was 6,000 years ago, then because the Bible was completed about 2,000 years ago, the creation would be 8,000 years old. And the Bible doesn't use terms like B.C. or A.D. because there are man-made conventions based around the birth of Jesus. However, the Bible does give us something much better than a date, a very specific history that allows us not only to determine the age of the universe, but also to know all the essential details about God's plan of redemption from the beginning of time, including the line of the promised Messiah. One final point, says Kinham. Nowhere in the Bible do we find any suggestion of millions or billions of years. Belief in millions of years is really part of secular man's religion, which attempts to explain life without God instead of believing the true account of origins in Genesis that begins in the beginning. Oh, dear saints, we can trust God's word. We cannot trust man's fallen observations that are flowing from their motive, their motive of sin to reject their creator. It is life without God 
slowly evolving that demands millions and billions of years. Thus, they look out at the cosmos and they build arguments for millions and billions of years. And yet there are many, many clocks, so to speak, clocks in the universe that demand a young universe. Those time clocks, like the comets in our solar system, uh, like the salt in the ocean, like the dust on the moon. There are a great many of them. And as you compound them, as you build one upon the other, what you find is a cosmos and a solar system and an earth and life on it that is quite young. And so do some research if you have questions in that area. And if you need help, come talk to me. But the point being, in the beginning is the beginning of time. Because without space and matter, you have no time. And Genesis 1.1 is the record of when time began. Our eternal God created space and matter and time. And it's just, it's just beautiful. If you don't see the, the beauty, right? If you have a, a mind given to science and logic, the Bible begins where it ought to begin. It begins in the beginning. It begins with an eternal God who created space, time, and matter. This is the most succinct Statement, true statement, explaining the cosmos that we observe that's ever been pinned. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's from the mind of God, not the mind of man. And it stands unique amongst the writings uh, on the planet Earth as God's revealed word and true history of His creative act. Secondly, in the text, in the beginning, God, as we covered last time, Elohim, Elohim, God is the power, He is the necessary cause, He is the force, as Isaac Newton, the father of physics, pinned the laws that have become known as the laws of Newton. The third law, Newton's third law, says for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. What we see in the cosmos is the reaction that demands the actor revealed in Genesis 1.1, the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God who created everything in a moment with a word. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I would say at least an equal and opposite reaction. I might modify Newton's law. That's pretty bold of me. But God's not just equal to his creative act. No, he... He is more than sufficient to create what we see, but he, he's not merely equal to it. But he's the only explanation for it, and he has revealed himself uniquely in his inspired word as our creator. As much as I'd like to, again, elucidate the glory of our eternal God You'll have to go back to last week's, or two weeks ago, the message from two weeks ago that is not quite up on our Sermon Audio website, but will soon be up. But that's, oh, five pages of notes. Um, but what, what fun it was to see our eternal, everlasting God and His everlasting covenants and in Revelation fourteen six His everlasting gospel. What glory. What glory is seen there. 
And so, in the beginning, God created, created, this third point, created this third reality in Genesis 1.1. The Hebrew, bara denotes action, action. So we have time, and we have force in the beginning, time, God, force, the essential necessary force, satisfying Newton's third law, and then action here in this Hebrew term, bara, a unique term translated, created in our text. Again, I'll defer to Dr. Morris in his book, The Genesis Record, under Created. And he says here, let me get uh, my pages lined up. He says here, this is the remarkable word bara, used always, get this, always only of the work of God. Only God can create, that is, call into existence, existence that which had no existence. He calleth things which be not as though they were. Romans 4.17 The worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hebrews 11.3 Men can make things or form things but they cannot create things. If you say, Behold, look what I have created, man, as I know on a few occasions, you know, I've been tempted to do that. Um, you know, maybe you've, you've barbecued, you know, a really nice piece of meat and it came out just right. Uh, maybe you've created a, a fire in the backyard, which I know is a colossal event and accomplishment, man. Um, maybe you've burned a large pile of debris or... Uh, you, you've done something unique, maybe even more significant than, than any of those things, burning stuff, right? That's usually all it takes to satisfy our, our manly hearts and to cry out, look what we have created. But did you actually create anything there? You did not. You lit something on fire. You warmed something up. You took part of God's creation. You assembled it together in a certain way and you came up with something. Even if you came up with something as complex as a nuclear reactor or a nuclear bomb um, or a computer Chip, uh, you took part of God's creation, you formed it, and you crafted it using the intelligence. Where'd you get that intelligence? That God gave you. You're created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. We're created in the image of God with intelligence. So we can craft and form and shape part of his creation as image bearers of God. But we have never created anything truly, ever. Ever. And that goes for you ladies too. Sorry. I know, I know even, even in the most precious sense, right? The child, the child, God created the child. He created the child. He created you. He created your womb. He, he created the egg and the sperm. He created the conception was no accident. The fact that you have a womb, the fact that there's egg and sperm, the conception is always a miracle of God. That's a life with an eternal soul. There are no accidental human beings. There are no mere human beings that are, you know, due to physiological, biological processes. It's a miracle of God. An eternal soul was also created with that life. And so we do not create. God alone is the creator. And at the end of those six days, creation, 
came to a conclusion. And we give him praise alone as the creator. So this word bara, created here in Genesis 1.1, is only used of God. It's not used of man. It's not used of man. Only God can create. Men can make things and form things, but they cannot create things. God also can make and form things. The Hebrew asa and yatsar, respectively, and do so far more effectively and quickly than man can do. So God did his creative work there in those six days. And then he does form things at times. In fact, you and I, he created the heavens and the earth and you men are just earth. Your earth that God breathed the spirit into. Ladies, perhaps a little higher. Now, ultimately, they're still earth, but from the rib of Adam. And so ultimately, we're all dirt, glorified dirt. And from dust we came, and to dirt we're returning under the curse. And yet, the Lord will sustain us with his creative power. He who is life, Jesus Christ, who created all original life and the cosmos before it, will sustain our life forever. He is eternal, though. We are not eternal by nature. We will be sustained by the eternal one and thus exist eternally. So the work of creation is uniquely a work of God. The work of making and forming consists of organizing already existing materials into more complex systems, whereas the act of creation is that of speaking into existence something whose materials had no previous existence except in the mind and power of God. The use of the word create here, says Dr. Morris, in Genesis 1.1 informs us that at this point, the physical universe was spoken into existence by God. It had no existence prior to this primeval creative act of God. God alone is is infinite and eternal. He also is omnipotent so that it was possible for him to call the universe into being, although it is impossible for us to comprehend fully this concept of an eternal transcendent God. The only alternative is the concept of an eternal self-existing universe, as I open this message, saying your only two choices are eternal cosmos or eternal God. Eternal God or eternal matter, that is the choice. The latter is an impossibility if the present scientific law of cause and effect is valid, since random particles of matter could not by themselves generate a complex, orderly, intelligible universe, not to mention living persons capable of applying intelligence to the understanding of the complex order of the universe. A personal God is the only adequate cause to produce such effects. A personal, omnipotent, omniscient God, the God of Genesis 1.1 the pre-existent, self-existent, eternal God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, created, bara, the heavens and the earth. This God, this God of Genesis 1-1, this God who is eternal, this God who bara created everything, as we've already noted, is the God of John 1-1. In the Greek, in arche, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God. This this Word, the the fullest expression, the fullest revelation of God, this Word that became flesh, John 1.14, was with God, and He was God, and He was preexistent at the beginning. Thus, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is 
everlasting to everlasting, is eternal with the Father. He is distinct from the Father, and yet He is one with the Father. And all things, says verse 3, were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. All things were made through Him. All things that were made were made through Him. All things were made through Him. And without Him, no thing, nothing was made that was made. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, united in the creative act, and Jesus Christ in the totality of Scripture, receiving praise and honor and glory as the Creator, as Colossians 1.16 would be added to John 1 verse 3, says this, For by Him, by Jesus, all things... Isn't that a distinction? That's an important distinction. You might just gloss over that. All things. What are you? Thing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. It's not just cat in the hat. It's reality. We're all things. Now, we're chief amongst God's things, created in the image of God. We're at the pinnacle of God's things. But let's stay in our thingly category. We are all things. God alone is the creator. He is the creator of all things. Thus, each of us are things. You can get your t-shirt out. Thing one. Thing two. All things. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Does that apply to you? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) You're on earth, right? So you're one of those things. Visible and invisible. So not just on earth, the visible material universe, but visible and invisible. The angelic realm, the demonic realm. All things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So he is sovereign even over the governments of this earth, the rising and fallings thereof. All things were created through him and for him. They're created through him and for him. They're for his glory. And he is before all things. He is preexistent. He is eternal. He is preeminent over and above. And in him, in him, All things consist. He is sustaining all that He has created. If you want more on that, you can go to Hebrews 1 and read up through at least verse 10 and you'll see this God and Jesus in particular as the creator of all things who sustains all that He has created until He lets it loose. And the gluons of this universe come undone as then 2 Peter speaks of as well. And so our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created bara. This is the action. This is the necessary fulfillment of Newton's third law as God has revealed Himself as the only sufficient explanation for the cosmos. Our God, eternal, everlasting to everlasting, Creator. Perhaps you're familiar with the term ex nihilo nihil fit. From nothing, nothing comes. It's a philosophical expression of a thesis first argued by Parmenides, a 5th century BC Greek philosopher and cosmologist explaining the origin of the cosmos. 
or attempting to. The thesis is sound. It's a, th- it's a sound thesis. It stands up to all true observation. From nothing, nothing comes. That's why the concept, the worldview that rejects the Creator and by necessity demands an eternal cosmos or eternal material doesn't work. Because ex nihilo, nihil fit, from nothing, nothing comes. In the 5th century B.C. they got this. But we're still contradicting it today. Because to not contradict it would place us squarely beneath the Creator. So we must contradict logic that we understood in the 5th century B.C. The thesis is sound. No thing comes from no thing, or nothing comes from nothing. God is not a thing. He is the eternal, pre-existent, self-existent God who created all things out of nothing. As Dr. Morris has already mentioned, the Hebrew word translated created in Genesis 1.1 is the word bara. I must emphasize that this word means there was no previous existing space, time, or matter when God created space, time, and matter. The verb bara in Genesis 1.1 uniquely signifies God's ex nihilo creative act. Literally creating everything that exists out of nothing. Other ancient Near Eastern creation stories like those from Egypt and Mesopotamia describe their gods, lower case G idols, their gods, as working with materials that already existed. Unlike other Hebrew words, translated create or created in reference to men creating or making things, when the verb bara is used, God is always the subject. Bara is never used in the simple tense in Hebrew to describe any human work of creation. The New Testament explicitly states that God created the cosmos and all life in it by His spoken word alone, ex nihilo, from nothing. Hebrews 11.3 By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That is the scientific explanation for the cosmos. Don't be fooled by claims that, oh, you have faith, we have science. No, saints, we have science. We own science because God owns science. There's no true science without God. Can unbelievers stumble onto true science? They can. They can. By the grace of God. And yet... Their hearts are set against their Creator, so so often they suppress true science, they suppress the true and right understanding of that which they observe, and choose science fiction over actual science. Thus Carl Sagan's quote. And so we have seen in the beginning, God created, and we're left with two elements, two Points, two truths, the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. The heavens. Shemaim in the Hebrew. Ultimately, are rightly understood as space. The heavens. In Genesis 1, 1, God has not yet created the stars. 
He's created space in which the stars will reside. They will be created. They will be created. But he creates space in which they will reside. And then he creates all the material stuff of the universe, all the elements in that periodic chart, all the elements which will reside in the space that he has created. Thus, we have time, and we have space, and we have matter, and we have God as the force, the essential and necessary power, creating it all. Creating it all. And a special act, barah, of creation. Again, Henry Morris, he's the expert in this field. I'm happy to refer to him. Henry Morris on heaven or space. This word is the Hebrew Shemayim, which like Elohim is a plural noun and can be translated either heaven or heavens, depending on the context and on whether it is associated with a singular or plural verb. It does not mean the stars of heaven, which were made on the fourth day of creation week, Genesis 1.16, and which constitute the host of heaven. The stars are the host of heaven, not heaven itself. There is a bare possibility that the Hebrew word may originally represent a compound of sham there and mayim, waters, thus reflecting the primeval association of water with the upper reaches of the atmosphere, Genesis 1-7. It seems, however, that the essential meaning of the word corresponds to our modern term space, such as when we speak of the universe as a universe of space and time. Apparently, there is no other Hebrew word used in this sense in the Bible. There's no other Hebrew word used for space. Whereas the use of heaven is everywhere consistent with such a concept. Understood in this way, it can also refer either to space in general or to a particular space, just as we may speak of outer space or inner space or atmospheric space and so forth. In Genesis 1.1, the term refers to the component of space in the basic space, mass, time, universe. The heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens. He created space. As Isaiah 44, 24 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. I love this verse. Who's speaking to us? Yahweh, our Redeemer. Who is the Redeemer in the most proper sense? It is Jesus Christ. So thus says Yahweh, Jesus Christ, and He who formed you in the womb. This is not some transcendent God. This is a very personal God. He is transcendent, but He's also near. He's also personal. He's not some God who just created historically. He created you in the womb, personally. He is Yahweh. He is the Redeemer. He is your personal Creator and the Creator of everything, all things. That's who's talking to you. You hear in Isaiah 44, 24, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and He who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things. So this is, this is the God of Genesis 1, 1. This is the God of John 1, 3. This is the God of Colossians 1, 16 and 17. This is the Redeemer, Yahweh, who formed you in the womb, Yahweh, who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who stretches out the heavens all alone. He's dependent upon nothing and no one. He needs no help. He stretches them out all alone. 
and he spreads abroad the earth by myself. If modern scientists are right that the cosmos is spreading out, it is stretching out, there's a red shift that shows it's expanding, well, Scripture predated their discovery of that, did it not? When it said, I am the Lord, Yahweh, who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. He spread abroad the earth. Now, you could take this to mean the planet earth, or again, like in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens. He created space and all the stuff in space. And he spread it all out. Isaiah 44, 24. Your God, my God, who created us in the womb, who created everything, all things, who created all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. This is our God. The God we worship, the God we love and rejoice in. Finally, the earth, the heavens and the earth. I don't have much new to say about it. I've already been touching on it for all these points. Touch upon the other, all connected. But let us say this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created space and he created matter. Everything on the periodic table and the earth. In the Hebrew, Eretz, matter. Again, Dr. Morris, in like manner, the term earth refers to the component of matter in the universe. At the time of the initial creation, there were no other planets, stars, or other material bodies in the universe, nor did any of them come into being until the fourth day. The earth itself originally had no form to it, Genesis 1, verse 2. So this verse must speak essentially of the creation of the basic elements of matter, which thereafter were to be organized into the structured earth and later into other material bodies. The word is the Hebrew eretz and is often translated either ground or land. Somewhat similarly to the use of heaven, it can mean either a particular portion of earth or the earth material in general. And that's the best understanding here in Genesis 1.1. All the material stuff of the universe created there in one divine act. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 45.18 says, For thus says the Lord, again Yahweh, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. That's your God. That's my God. That's the God of all men. That's the God of the heavens and the earth. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, Let me remind you, this is unique in the writings of men because this isn't just a writing of men. This is the prophetic word of God. Our God is the God who says, I created everything. Nothing that was made was made without me. 
And he says that alone. He stands alone, distinct from the gods that man creates. For we couldn't fathom, apparently, a God who created the heavens and the earth, space, time, and matter. We couldn't fathom a God that big. We couldn't fathom a God that immense. We couldn't fathom a God that glorious. We couldn't fathom the God of Genesis 1.1. But God has revealed Himself in all His glory. Thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain. The heavens and the earth and this planet that we have called earth are not created in vain. We're created for a purpose. We're created for the glory of God. That the God of creation would come into creation through the womb of the Virgin Mary, that He might suffer on the tree that He created to grow in that earth, pierced for our iniquities. And rising again on the third day, conquering sin and death, this is our God, and he says it, it's almost a boast, I am the Lord and there is no other. In context of Isaiah like 40 through 46, maybe a little broader even, the Lord is distinguishing himself from the idols of men, and he does it again and again and again and again. He's pointing out all the follies and foolishness of the idols that man creates, is upholding his distinctives and his glories that we might cease with our folly, that we might cease bowing down before idols that we create with our minds and our hands and bow down to the one true God who created the heavens and the earth with purpose. He did not create it in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is No other. The Lord over space, the Lord over time, the Lord over matter, the Lord who created it all. We'll let Dr. Morris close from his book, Defending the Faith, pages 35 and 36. When the writings of all the world's religions are compared, it is found that only the biblical revelation speaks of a special creation of all things in the beginning, a creation out of nothing. All other religions and philosophies of men, both ancient and modern, have espoused evolutionary systems starting with eternally existing matter. The Bible, unique among the sacred writings of mankind, begins with an eternal, omnipotent, personal God. He brought all things into being, not out of a primeval chaos or eternal matter, but out of nothing except His own infinite power and wisdom. Special creation is a concept found only in the Bible, which is what you would expect since the Bible stands alone as the Word of God. To the ancient Israelites, accustomed as they were to thinking in terms of the evolutionary cosmologies of the Egyptians and the Canaanites, this was a radically new idea. The writer of Genesis, therefore, had to be quite clear and emphatic in his account of creation in order to keep his contemporaries from reading their evolutionary preconceptions into it. You must understand evolution is not a new thing. An eternal cosmos is not a new thing. It's not new to Carl Sagan. All of those who have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness 
as Romans 1.18 foretells, all of those have chosen eternal cosmos over an eternal creator. You know what you escape with an eternal cosmos? Eternal judgment. Eternal accountability. You know what you get to be with an eternal cosmos instead of an eternal creator? You get to be God. You get to stand over your your puny little idol that you create or your puny fire in the backyard and say, Behold, look what I have created! You get to manifest your own personal Nebuchadnezzar complex. No matter how small your kingdom is, it doesn't really matter. You can have a kingdom of ants in a little ant house. Look what I have created. And so we have motive to reject our Creator. But God has revealed Himself to man. and His grace, He's revealed Himself to man as our eternal Creator who spoke into existence space, time, and matter. Barah! In Genesis 1, 1. Continuing with Dr. Morris, to the ancient Israelites, accustomed as they were to thinking in terms of the evolutionary cosmologies of the Egyptians and the Canaanites, this was a radically new idea. The writer of Genesis, therefore, had to be quite clear and emphatic in his account of creation in order to keep his contemporaries from reading their evolutionary preconceptions into it. This is why the first chapter of Genesis teaches so plainly and definitely that all things, the heaven and the earth and all the host of them, were spoken into existence and brought into their finished perfection directly by God alone. God was not in any way dependent upon pre-existing matter or upon natural processes and their accomplishment. There was nothing at all before the creation period, only God. Our minds cannot fully grasp the idea of an eternal God existing independently of the universe which He created. But for that matter, neither can we comprehend the idea of an eternal chaotic matter or an infinite chain of secondary causes extending back to eternity. Our minds are finite and are bound by the framework of space, mass, time, universe in which we function. They cannot successfully comprehend infinity and eternity or any kind of existence outside of space and time. But what we cannot comprehend, we can believe. Millions of people through the ages have found both mental and spiritual rest through the simple faith in an eternal creator revealed and incarnate in Jesus Christ. This, unlike the evolution out of nothing idea, is a concept that involves a cause adequate to produce the effect that we all observe. The special creation of our space, mass, time, universe is declared in the introductory statement of the Word of God in the beginning time. God created the heaven, space, and the earth, mass. The tri-universe, thus spoken into existence, reflects the triune nature of its Creator. Thus, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is thus the source of all meaning and reality. Dear saints, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There we stand. And upon that truth, the rest of our faith, the doctrine of our faith, the truth of our faith, and our science, and our logic rests all on Genesis 1.1. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Let's pray.